0: Amen. So, those of you in this class, did you bring your notes from last week? Because I think we didn't finish. <laughs> I don't think we finished. Um, I know we didn't. I'm trying to remember where we left off. Um, and I'm looking for your your notes so that I can see where what blanks we didn't fill in. Did we fill in the God has given us self-determination? Who who has the paperwork? The, oh, okay, so we did up to there. And then you had all the verses for your um, devotion. So let's go to page three, right? No, because every so often I'm going to swing it. Um, now, you know, I always test you every week. Who can tell me some of the communicable attributes of God? Love? I thought I heard something around here. Yeah, I test you every week. Some of the communicable Now you gonna make me look, cause I don't, re- I don't remember that one. I could be wrong, but I don't remember that one. Let me see. I gotta look. He said honor, but I don't recall. That's an interesting one. I guess we. I guess we could. Yes. We're going to give you that one. Point. Because we, uh, as, as we've learned to honor God, we honor one another. God has called us to honor um, positions. So, yeah. Okay. Wait, that's one. Who can give me another communicable attribute of God? Knowledge. Wisdom. Now we're on a roll. Now who can give me some... I'm waiting to see if you tell me what's the next. Okay, incommunicable attributes of God. Eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipresent. See, we're getting it. We're getting this. Very good. Now, if somebody was not here last week and didn't get one for last week's. um, You didn't have last week's. Oh, here, here. I'm looking. Could somebody pass this? Can you pass one to Jean over there? I'm trying to see how many spares. Oh, does anyone need an S? She has, there, there we go. That's from last week. Okay. And then I'm going to give you the one for this week. She has one here. Does somebody need one? here. Here. Oh here, oh here, here. Wait, let me see how many I have. I, I let me see. This is like a little. That was number seven, right? Let me see if I have any more sevens in here. Well, I see a seven, but don't think those are my notes. Those are my notes. All righty. And I think I gave them all. on. I don't even know what question we're at. Oh, okay. But, all right, we're on page three. They're gonna make a few copies just for those that. That don't have it. I'm gonna give out eight when we get, because then everybody gets confused. Okay. Now, we talked about self determination, and that is that God gives us choices, and with our choices, we determine what will happen and what events will occur in our life. And it's important for us to choose and act wisely. Because our choices and our actions have eternal significance. So, everything that we do in life, absolutely everything, will have a good or a bad consequence. It's the the absolute truth. Everything that we do has a consequence and it has an outcome. So, we have to choose and act wisely. So, let's fill in the blank. This is simply affirming that Our choices, our choices really do determine what will happen. It is not as if events occur regardless of what we decide or do, but rather that they occur. Because of what we decide and do, that makes sense to you. Things are not just happening by chance or by coincidence in your life, and what you know why all this. Everything that happens is a result of an action or a result of us uh, doing something, saying something, acting in a certain way. So that's what God has given us self-determination. He's given us that ability to make choice. We want to blame God for a lot of things that happen in our life, and a lot of them are results of choice. So he says, I'm going to give you the right. We can't have it both ways. We can't say, God, I want you to let me do what I want to do, and then what we do, what we want to do, then we want to complain of the things that have happened because of what we've chosen to do. So um, God has given us self-determination. Wisdom was number four. Now, if you have page seven, I mean, if you had class seven notes, Right in the beginning, in the front, you're going to see the 20 attributes that we're going to be discussing about God. And um, the ones that we're doing right now, this uh, wisdom and the truthfulness, are mental attributes. We did the attributes of God's being last time, and now we're trying to finish up mental attributes, and we're going to go to moral attributes. How's that? So, wisdom. Let's fill in the blank. God's wisdom can be determined as follows. God always chooses, right? Always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God has the best of intentions for us, He has the best goals, the best plans, the best of blessings. And we could. Uh, decide or we could choose whether we want what God has determined for us. He wants nothing but blessings. At no point did God say, I want you to be damned, I want you to go to hell, I want you to have a life of of woe and sorrow. No. His intentions for all of us were that we would, we would be blessed and, you know, yet we make some decisions that affect that. Or sometimes we say no to God. I don't want what you have for me. You know, I I remember um, having discussions with someone at one point who had a prophetic gift, and they didn't want their prophetic gift. And they said, I don't want this prophetic gift. I don't want to know what's happening to people. I don't want to know the events of the day. And um, they would actually uh, uh, drug themselves at night so they wouldn't have any dreams and visions. See, now, I'm saying this is silly. This is ridiculous. you got to understand what your gifting is you have to know how to operate in it, and you pray to the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom and the knowledge on how to move in your gifting. See? So um, it does happen to people that they reject what God has for them. So that's just so you know. If you're having that, that difficulty, say, God, you know, I'm, I'm open to whatever you have in my life. Please teach me and show me how to walk in the gift that you have for me. Teach me how to do that, Lord. So here you also had some um, verses every week. I give you verses that you can use as a devotion for the week. And here there's verses that, that speak to you on the only wise God. There's only one. Job says that God is wise in heart. I gave you those verses. And with his wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. So all these verses are geared toward God's wisdom. The Bible absolutely shows us and teaches us everything that we need to know about God. So if you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you still cannot share with someone about uh, about what you know with regards to God and who he is, then you really haven't been looking in the word. Because it really tells us everything that we need to know about God's being, about God's judgments, about God's um, knowledge and wisdom. It, teach, it teaches us about the attributes of, you know, that he's an invisible God. We can't see him. But a God that's ever-present in every area and every aspect of our life. So all of this we, we get from the word. Okay? Um, I th- Did we do this? God's wisdom is also seen in his great plan of redemption. We're going to read a few verses. Let's read a verse or two on that. Christ is the wisdom of God to those who are called. And this is the plan of redemption is, again, God's wisdom in saying, how can, I, how can I make a way for them to come back into alignment with me? This plan that he had for our redemption, that we could be saved from our sins and we can be forgiven of our sins and we could understand mercy and grace and all of this. God did it as a plan for us so that we could once again come into relationship with him. That's a, it's a wonderful thing. So let's read. Who's, who's, are we reading in this line? <laughs> My line of readers? Okay. How about if we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 21, 27, and 29, and you going to be sweet or you're, you're, we'll skip you over. This is our first time in class we want we don't want to scare you away. So, uh Tammy, you're going to have Romans 11:33. Okay? So, Jesse, you're up first. Oh. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> okay. So 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 27 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And verse 29 says, So that no one may boast before him.
0: Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depth
2: of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out.
0: Okay. So, see, all of these verses are speaking to us about God's wisdom. Um, the next one, it, it speaks to us. God's wisdom is shown in our individual lives. It's right there, Romans chapter 8. God's wisdom is, of course, in part, communicable to us. And why only in part? Why is God's wisdom only in part communicable to us? Who wants to venture and say a, a response? you make me give you a clue. Do we have the total wisdom of God? We don't. So that's why it's not totally communicable. We have, in part, God God has given us wisdom, but we don't have a wisdom that is at level to God's wisdom. We don't. Because even being wise, sometimes we make foolish decisions and choices. Isn't that so? Now, if I would ask you in in this room right here, how many of us are fools and don't make wise decisions? I don't know who's going to raise their hand. But if I say how many of us are wise and can make some good decisions, I'm sure most of you would raise your hands. But I know, and I know as I know as I know this, that we all have one point or another have made foolish decisions. So we do not have 100% the same amount, the level, the depth of the wisdom of God. So in part, just like we can love, but we can never love the way that God loves. See? Unconditionally. No, our love sometimes is, well, I love you if you love me. You know when you're in, in, in uh, grade school and the little boy sends the, the little letter to the girl, do you like me? And then with the little boxes that say yes and no. Did, did, did anybody go through that? Do you remember that? I remember that. The little boxes, well, it's contingent on, on that. I'll like you if you like me. I'll love you if you love me. If you don't, well, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm in love with you. You know, that kind of nonsense. God loves us in spite of ourselves. Many people have, so, have looked up and, and told God that they've hated him. And even on the day of when we, when we go through the tribulation period and we go through the Armageddon and all that, there's going to be people that are still going to be looking up and hating God and cursing God. Don't think it's not going to happen. It is. That's why they're going to hell. Okay? Because they absolutely, it's the truth. They absolutely have not been able to create relationship with God. They don't want relationship, and God doesn't force himself on anyone. Okay? So, the other one was, okay, we're talking about part communicable. And then I gave you some verses there, and I said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's so important. That's when you become, you become a wise person, when the first thing you say is, I have to learn to fear God because he's an awesome God. I hope that as you are learning all of these lessons on God and his characteristics, you are beginning to develop a higher sense of awe and respect for God and really the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, you know, this is such a great, great and powerful God that I have to be careful of how I present myself before him. That, that's having wisdom, that we come to God, you know, with respect when we pray. We, we pray to him with honor for who he is and not just, hey, yo, what's up? That's not how we talk to God. We might talk to each other that way, see? And, and this is why I always tell parents, as much as you want to be your child's friend and pal, you are not their friend. You are their parent. Because you know what happens when you become their friend like that? They put you at the level of their friends, and the way that they disrespect each other, that's the way they're going to disrespect God. So I know that I'm not at the level of God. None of us, none of you are at the level of God. And so when we talk to God, we got to talk to him with respect. And when our children talk to us, We shouldn't be hearing, no, hey, yo, because I know you ain't talking to me. I'm going to keep on walking because that's not my middle name. I'm going to keep on walking. No. I'm your parent. And so we have to get into that understanding ourselves as, you know, when we look at God, he's our parent. He's our father. And we have to go to him and before him with respect and understanding the power that he is, that he could snuff us out with a word. He created us with a word. And he could snuff us out with a word. You know how we always say, I brought you into this world. I could take you out. We have no knowledge of the, what we say. God has brought us into this world and he could take us out in a blink. But yet he chooses to love us. And he chooses to work with us in spite of all of, all of our little shortcomings. He loves us in spite of that. He's an awesome God. So you have all those verses there. Take out time and read them as part of your devotion every day. Number five, the fifth attribute we're going to look at is truthfulness and faithfulness. God is truthful and he is faithful. So, what do we have in number five? Let me turn, let me turn my sheet. Truthfulness. Let's fill in the blank. God's truth, truthfulness means that he is the true God and that all his knowledge and words are both true and the final standard of truth. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the standard of truth in a few minutes. And then it has the word veracity. You hear that word a lot when it it refers to God. And the term veracity... Which means truthfulness or reliability has sometimes been used as a synonym, synonym, not cinnamon, synonym for God's truthfulness. <laughs> I got to make fun of myself because my kids will make fun of me, trust me. And then, of all of these, I just want to read Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. So that's Lilium. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. That's okay. Chapter 10, uh, verse 10 and 11. But the
2: Lord is the only true God. He is the only living God, the king forever. The earth shakes when he is angry, and the nations cannot stand up to his anger. Tell them this message. This gods did not make heaven and earth. They will be destroyed and disappear from heaven and earth.
0: Okay. That's a good, that's a good verse. We are mere creatures and cannot define what the true God must be like. So we can't, from our own person, we cannot um, define what, what uh, the true God must be like. So we must ask that it is God himself who has the only perfect idea of what the true God should be like. He has implanted in our minds a reflection of his own idea of what is true or what the true God must be. And this enables us to recognize him as God. We recognize him because he's deposited in us this ability to recognize. See, people can say they're atheists. I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't, want, I don't know that, that there's a God I don't, I don't believe in, in one. I don't accept it. Something goes wrong. Oh, my God. Well, why are you calling out to him? You don't believe in him. Why does God do these things? Why does God allow this to happen? but I thought you didn't believe in God. So why are you asking or calling out or naming him if you don't believe in him? See, he's implanted in each and every one of us the recognition of who he is. And he's implanted in us the need to know him, the need to know God. So when, when we feel lost and we feel like in the midst of a group of people, but we still feel lonely and we don't feel connected to anybody and we feel that there's something missing in our lives. What's missing is what he deposited in us, that need to have relationship with our creator. And when we don't have that relationship, we feel the loss. We feel the emptiness of not having God in our lives. We just can't put our finger on it and say what it is. But once you hear what it is, it's because you're missing relationship with God, your creator. You're like, oh, that's it. That's the one thing I, I haven't had in my life that I've missed is having God and knowing God. Yes, Jean? Yeah. There is no God and I hate him. Well, uh, you know, confusion, Right? Uh -uh -uh. In respect to his promises, now did I have one there? Oh, let's do that one. In respect to his promises, God always does what he promises to do and we can depend on him never to be unfaithful to his promises. If God tells us he's going to do something, he will do it. If you read Genesis, God told Abraham, I'm gonna promise I'm gonna bless your people from generation to generation. At that point, Abraham didn't even have one child. God's telling him, You see the sand, as many, you know, these little, these little grains of sand, that's how many is gonna be your people. And he's like thinking, I don't even have one child. But if you look today, you look at the history, and you see how many times the Jewish people have been put under massacre. I mean, they've been killed, millions and millions of Jews have been killed at at different times in history. These people are still around, and they're bountiful. Whatever God promises, He will do. Okay? Now, I gave you a whole bunch of other verses. He's an unlying God, He never lies. He only speaks truth. The God for who it is impossible to lie. Now, how do you think we know the difference between truth and a falsehood? How do you think we know the difference? Where do you think that came from? It came from God. Because if we leave it up to ourselves, we believe our own lies. You ever said a lie that you believed? You're like, wow, that sounded really good. That must be true. Yeah, 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 right? But somebody's going to come around and say, no, no. I know that it sounds good, but no, that is not true. It didn't happen. We get our ability. We know the difference between a truth and a lie, and we get that from God. We don't get it from each other because, believe me, there's nothing good in us. Anything that's good in us have, has been put there by God. But our own flesh, our, our own human nature, there's really nothing good in, good in us. The God whose every word is perfectly pure. Every word perfectly pure. The God whose every word proves true. See, all that is in the scripture. And Proverbs chapter 13 verse 5 tells us that we should imitate God's reaction to truth and falsehood. See, God finds joy in truth and he does not like, he detests lies. See? That's why you can't go before him with lies because he you're exposed. He absolutely knows when you're not telling the truth. So here, we're gonna do now this week's. But because we had a lot to split them half this side, half that side. Um, because we had a lot to do in a short period of time to catch up to the Spanish class. <laughs> I'm behind schedule. I I filled in all your blanks. Isn't that nice of me? I filled in all your blanks. So you could follow along. See? There's a motive to my madness. So today we're going to start talking about moral attributes of God, the moral attributes of God. Isn't there a song that Jay sings? Where's Jay? Don't you sing a song that says, um, he's a good, good father? Or am I making up the words? Oh, he's a good, good father. Because my husband says that I make up the words on the songs. Like I changed the words. So I, I want to make sure it wasn't me. So he does sing a song that says he's a good, good father. Okay. And I'm singing them with all confidence that I'm singing the right thing. You know that, right? I, I am singing confidently that I got it right. He's like, no, that's not the way that goes. And sometimes I'll be like, there was one song that, while well, they're giving out the papers, I'm just telling it. We used to sing a song here, and I always thought it said, good wine. And I always sang, good wine. Good wine, and my husband said, That's not what the word, <laughs> it's not saying, good wine. I forgot what it was. Does anybody remember, do my kids, do any of you remember? They used to sing that song wrong all the time. I used to call it good wine. What was that? And I got to ask my husband, because now it came to my mind. But I thought it sounded really good. Good wine. No, that wasn't it. All right, we're at number six, goodness. Now that everybody has a paper, hopefully I had enough. Really? No. Ho- no, because I didn't fill in any blanks, so I don't have one of those. I don't need it. Oh, no, I'm good because I didn't, I didn't fill in the blanks, so I don't need it. No, no, it's good. I have it. I have it. Oh, yeah. Because I, when I do yours, I take out the words, and then I don't remember what words I took out. I got to see it. Goodness. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good, and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. Right? Here, good can be understood to mean worthy of approval. So when you see the word good, he's worthy of approval. But we have not answered the question, approval by whom? Who's approving God? God's being and actions are perfectly worthy of his own approval. He is, therefore, the final standard of good. Remember when I tell you we were going to talk about the standard of good? He is the final standard of good. He created the standard. He is the standard. And everything that we, we do is measured on God's standard of goodness. We think that we're good. Do you think you're a good person? Do you ever stop and say, I think I'm a good person, right? Let's measure ourselves to God's standard of goodness, and we have to really say whether we are really good or not. Anything that is good within us, remember I told you that a few minutes ago, comes from God. He places it in us. So let's read a few of these verses. Let us read Jesse. Luke, chapter 18, verse 19. Tammy, you're going to do Psalm 106, 7. And uh, Lilium, you're going to do Psalm 34, 8.
1: Luke, chapter 18, verse 19 says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. 106, Psalm 106.7. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Mm. Was that the right one? I mean, I looked. I double Yeah, I double-checked, yeah. but okay. Okay. Um,
0: Lilium. Thank you.
2: Psalm four eight. Examine and see how God... How good the Lord is. Happy is the person who trusts him.
0: Examine and see, right? That was your, examine and see how good the Lord is. Yeah. Take some time and stop and think about how good God has been to you. And then go from there and say, how, ha- how good has God been to my family? And how good has God been to our city and how good has God been to our nation? And we forget how good God has been. James
1: 1:17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this verse. Can you repeat it again? I love this verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above, mm-hmm. coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Mm-mm.
0: What is good? Good is what God approves. We may ask then, why is what God approves good? And we must answer, because he approves it. God is not going to approve of anything that is not good. If it's bad or it's so-so, he's not going to say that's good. All right, that's a gray. So since it's gray, I'm going to just call it good anyway. All right, you, you said a little gray lie. I know you intended it with the best of intentions. You know, you, you said a lie because you thought it would be good for somebody. No, it's not good. There's no dimensions or stages of lies or sin. Sin is sin. So whether your lie was a little lie or whether it was huge, whether it was white, gray, black, or whatever color you want to give it, it's still a lie. And so God is the only one that determines what is good, and he says, this is good. You read it in Genesis. We might read that. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 131. Is it your turn? Okay, so why are you doing that? No, no, while you are while you doing that? I'm going to read my next line. This is to say there is no higher standard of goodness than God's own character, and his approval of whatever is consistent with that character. So if God is good, he's not just some, sometimes good. He's good all the time. He, it, good emanates from him. Truth emanates from him. You know, um, loyalty emanates from him. This, he is the creator of that. Love, he is love. He just doesn't have love once in a while. He is love. We can feel love, but God is love. See? See? We can be merciful with people once in a while, but God is mercy. We can be gracious once in a while, but God is gracious all the time. See? So, Genesis
2: 131. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
0: That whole chapter, everything that God made, he looked at it, and he said, this is good. He didn't make anything bad. Things were altered. Some of the things that were altered were altered because of sin. See, everything that God made, he looked at it every single day. If you read Genesis, the trees, the expansion, the water, you know, the clouds, you know, the grass. And then he looked at us and he said, this is good. Right? Everything he made, he made it good good. See? And we might say, well, that's an attractive looking thing and that's not so attractive. That's kind of ugly and God doesn't see ugly. To him, everything he made was good. So God doesn't have any ugly children. You know how you go to the nursery where all the babies are? You see all those babies, right? All different colors and shades and sizes and everybody's oh! Beautiful baby, look at that! And sometimes you look over and you say, "What? <laughs> right? Oh, come on! Isn't I, that true? Yeah. They, I mean, like they look like little prunes, all wrinkled, two or three little hairs sticking up, right? But the parent, like me, I had three beautiful babies." I don't know what happened to them after that, but they were beautiful babies in the nursery. (laughs) They were all beautiful, right? Matter of fact, you know what? My baby has a birthday today. Right over there, my baby. My baby, Abraham. All of, whatever, how many years are you baby now? 30, uh, I lost track. Whatever. Every, Every parent says that their children are beautiful. God looks at us and he says, all of my children are beautiful. All, he don't have any ugly children. Mm-mm. That's why we're talking about love. God's love means that God eternally gives of Himself to others, constantly giving, giving, giving of Himself. The definition understands love as self-giving for the benefit of others. Right. This attribute of God shows that it is a part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessings or good for others. So when God gives to us of himself, he is blessing us, constantly blessing us. Every single day when you get up in the morning, God is blessing you. Every morning, by the time you go to bed, he's blessed you mightily throughout the day. This love is also reciprocal, right? The love between the Father and the Son also presumably characterizes their relationship with the Holy Spirit. So here you have God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all having a love fest. Isn't that wonderful? They love each other. And they love each other equally. Three in one. Right? And it says here, this attribute of, oh, I'm reading in the wrong line, sorry. This eternal love makes heaven a world of love and joy because each person of the Trinity seeks to bring joy and happiness to the other two. So there's just love, love, love. The self-giving that characterizes the Trinity finds clear expression in God's relationship to mankind and especially to sinful man. It's one thing for us to say, well, God loves us because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And because of that, we're covered in the blood of the sacrifice and the cross. And so God loves us. Yes, he loves us. But you know what? He also loves that sinful man. That man that hasn't received him or accepted him yet. He still loves him enough or her, enough that he's saying, I'm still waiting on you. And he gives to the last possible moment. And I preached about that. If the if you know the trumpet were to sound at twelve on the dot, you know, God gives us to eleven fifty-nine and fifty-nine seconds. See? He loves us. He loves the sinful man. Let us read first John chapter four ten. And that's uh hi Aaron. Are you joining our reading line? No, okay. First <laughs> John four ten and Romans five, eight. So somebody uh Lilium, is it your turn? Yep. okay, and then uh Jesse, you have uh okay uh first John for uh ten
2: sorry. This is what the real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place to, make away our, to, make, to take away our sins.
0: That's a wonderful verse to highlight.
1: Right? And Romans 5, eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's another wonderful verse to highlight. While
0: we were still sinners, you know, we weren't Christians and then said, God, will you die for me and cover me? No. While we were still sinners, before we were even born, we were all born into sin. Every single one of us has the seed of sin. We inherited it from Adam and Eve, right? And so here, God made a way for us while we were still sinners and had not even accepted him then. He died for us, even before we acknowledged God, even before we acknowledged that we needed a savior, He had already done the sacrifice for us. And that's, that's so important, Romans 5:8. Even while we were sinners, we imitate this communicable uh, attribute of God, first by loving God in return, because He already loves us. now we're loving Him in return, and second, by loving others in imitation of the way that God loves them. Okay? So God loved us, we love him, and now we have to love others the way that he loves them. So when we do outreaches, what we're doing is we're being ambassadors of God and we're going out there and we're loving them in spite of whatever happens outside in the street. We, we go out there, we do outreach, And we serve our community because we love them the way that God loves us. See, it's all about love. And then there's there's a whole series of verses there that you should read for your devotion. Right? You thought I was going to give you all those verses, right? (gasps) Which one were you going to read? I say, let's read it. We're just having some technical difficulties.
1: (laughs) Ah, There you go. 1 John 4, 8. Mm -hmm. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That is
0: such an easy verse that we've heard many, 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 many times. See, if we don't love... How are we going to say that we love God and we don't see him, but we can't love each other that we see on a regular basis? That's what the the verse is teaching us. So there's a series of other verses there that you should look up. It's going to encourage you. Number eight, the eighth attribute is mercy, grace, and patience. Mercy, grace, and patience. Right? God's mercy... His patience and grace may be seen as three separate attributes or as specific aspects of God's goodness. He is so good that he's merciful with us. God's mercy means that God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. So he sees us. And, and you see this a lot in the Psalms when David speaks of it. He says, you know, God, thank you for your tender mercies. On my behalf, you know, he speaks to it, to it because he says, you know what, I'm, 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 in, I'm in distress. I've got this King Saul chasing me for 20 years. Boy, if somebody was chasing you for 20 years to kill you, I got a feeling that you are going to be under distress and you're going to be needing a little mercy thrown your way. God's grace means that God's goodness towards those who only deserve punishment. So we deserve punishment. Every single one of us have sinned, and because of that sin, we deserve to be punished. And yet God says, I'm going I'm to just pour out grace, and grace means unmerited favor. God has given us forgiveness. He's given us unmerited favor when we have not deserved it or earned it. We've done nothing for it, and God still says, my grace it's is sufficient. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be enough to cover all the sins and the shortfalls that you have. My grace, unmerited favor. I'm giving you a gift. Free of charge, it doesn't cost you anything. In our human nature, we say nothing, right? How is that we say? You get nothing free for nothing, right? Everything costs something. See, see how different we are, how tarnished we are from God? And God says, look, I'm giving you this grace. It doesn't cost you anything, but it has so much power. It's so valuable. Without grace, none of us would have made it. Unmerited favor. Thank you, God. There's nothing that I can do. It would take me a million years and then some to cover the level of the sin that God has forgiven in my life. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of the level of sin that you've committed in your life, the things that you've done throughout your life, that if that were to add up, there is no way that you could have paid God back or try to remit your sin. No way. God's grace covers it all. He paid the price. He said, okay, so the extent of your, of your uh, sins are $100 million. Boy, I'm not even going to see $100 million in my whole life. I'm just making up an example. Never, never, if you worked every day, round the clock, you would never come up with that $100 million to pay God back To cover for the level of sins that you've done. I'm just giving you an example. Right? So thank God for his grace. Which covers a multitude of our sins. Thank you Lord. God's patience. Means that God's goodness. In withholding of punishment. toward those who sin over a period of time. Now we definitely have to know this one here. He is patient. We continue to commit the same sin over and over and over. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That we absolutely know that what we're doing is wrong. We absolutely know that God sees us because we've already learned that he's invisible. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's uh, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We know all these things about God, and we continue to commit the same sin. And yet God, in his patience, he withholds punishment from us giving us the opportunity to repent of our sin. Right? He continues to give us opportunity and opportunity and opportunity. But remember what I told you, the clock is ticking. And the moment is going to come at 11, 59, and 59 seconds when Jesus will stop being your and my attorney. He will stop being our advocate before the father and he goes from being our attorney and our lawyer asking God to continue to see us with mercy and grace and have patience to become now the judge. Oh yes indeed. This is all scripture. And he becomes the judge and he comes then to execute punishment. So God's patience is long suffering the scripture tells us long suffering but there is going to be coming there's going to come a time when that long suffering comes to an end because then God is looking at the rest of us that are waiting around patiently to be with him and he says okay it's time see so let us not take the grace and the mercy and the patience of God for granted and say all right i know what i'm what i'm doing ain't right but i'm going to continue to do it just a little longer i got a little time you know, there's. there's. You know, there's, I'm making this up now. I don't know the exact number. There's uh, 75 prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And I got time. Before all those 75 prophecies get fulfilled, I got time to repent a few times. Or I'm young. You know, I don't plan on dying today or tomorrow. But you can step off the edge of the street and get run over by a car and it's done. It's a done deal. People are dying every day from young to, old, to elderly. So there's nothing says that God owes you any period of time. Every day that we have is a gift from God. So let us not take for granted these attributes of God and let us, you know, if we're, if we're sinning, cut it out. You know it's a sin. Stop it. Use some self-determination and say, I'm tired of sinning and being in this condition before God that I can't even go, go to him, you know, with, with my face held up because I'm, I'm so ashamed of what I continue to do and act and say that I can't face him, and when I go before him, I go before him with my head bowed because I'm so ashamed. Let us now come to a grip with that and say, I need you, Jesus. Please help me that every day I live it, getting a handle of my sinful nature, and let me walk, walk in this, in this path that you've given us so that I could get to the end because what's at the end? That's our reward. It's at the end. It would be a sad thing for you to walk this walk and run this run, this race, and then midway, you stop. It's like the rabbit, right, and the turtle. The tortoise and the hare, right? He's running along. He says, oh, I got plenty of time. He sits. And there comes that little, that little turtle just pacing himself. Da-dum, 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 pacing himself. Staying focused, getting to the goal, and getting there before the hair. Let us, not, let us not do this. Let us not spend all this time reading the words, singing the songs, making the prayers, and then at the end, don't make it to the, to the, to the end of the race. Well, I've said enough. These three characteristics of God's nature are often mentioned together, especially in the Old Testament. And there's all these verses, but we don't have time to read them. Take out the time and read them. Number nine, holiness. God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. Separated from sin. We separate ourselves to be holy. Like we want to fast, we separate ourselves for God. We want to be holy. So we have to separate ourselves from our sin in order to do that. God doesn't have to separate himself. He is totally 100% holy. This definition contains a relational quality, okay? A relational quality means that you have to separate relationship. So a relational quality means that you would have to separate yourself in order for you to try to stay holy before the Lord. Because we're we're a royal priesthood. We're called to be holy before the Lord, right? And you work at that every day, every single day. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and every day Paul is working at perfecting himself. When was the last time you wrote any part of of the Testament? You didn't write any, right? So why would you think that you don't need to perfect yourself and work on this every day? We have to every single day. Working at it, perfecting ourselves, getting holy, getting closer to God. You know that the the closer that you draw yourself to God, the less you are going to want to sin. Do you know that? If you prayed every day, took a little time and prayed every day, took a little time and read your Bible every day. The more you draw yourself closer to God, the less you want to do anything to offend him, to hurt him to bring displeasure or sadness to him. Because as you're reading it, you're starting to see how much he loves you. This book, this book of the Holy Bible is a, is a story of love. And so he loves us so much that as you get closer to him, you don't want to do anything to upset him or distress him. You're like, God, I love you so much. I just want to be faithful to you. See? You learn that from reading the Word. So there's the relational quality where you separate yourself. And there's a moral quality. The separation is from sin and evil. And the devotion is to the good of God's own honor and glory. So I want to separate myself from evil. I want to separate myself from things that are not good. And that you, might, you know what? You might have relationships that are not good for you. You might be in relationships that draw you always to do the thing that you don't want to do. You know? You might have relationships that draw you to places that you really know you shouldn't be at. You know, like when people tell you, they invite you to the club and you know every time you go to the club, you get yourself all intoxicated, you wind up doing and saying things you would have not said if you would have been sober. You know, these are the kind of things that we sometimes have to look at the people that we surround ourselves with and tell us, is this going to help me on my walk in this road to get to the end? We have to look at that. There might be some things that you might have to alter in your life if you really want to live a life of holiness. See, if you really want to, well, you know, I only drink when I'm with you. I only use drugs when I'm with you. So then why are you with that person? For Pete's sake, use a little common sense. It's free. That's only me. The place where God himself dwells is itself holy. So that's why we can't just walk into heaven and say, surprise, I'm here, or get on a plane and go there. No. It's holy, and only those who are holy can enter. Only those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb are going to be able to get in there. We must be holy. There's a lot of verses here, and should we read one? Where are we? Whose turn is it to read? Whose whose turn is it? How about if we read Exodus 26:33? That's Tammy. Um, Lilium, you're gonna do um, Psalm 24:3. Jesse, you're gonna do um, Exodus 20:11, and Janelle, you're gonna do Isaiah 6:3. How's that? There you go. <laughs> She's ready. All right, let's hear a few verses. <laughs> okay. Hang the
2: curtain from the clasp and place the Ark of the Testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most
0: holy place. Now you know that this, in this whole chapter, you should read it. But this is referring to the Ark of the Covenant where it's placed in the Holy of Holies, where, not, let me tell you, the priest only went in there once a year, had a rope tied around his waist, had bells at the, at the hem of his garter, because if he went in there and he was not totally you know, free of sin and had not repented himself well, he would die when he walked in there. And so when they didn't hear the bells moving around, they just pulled on the little rope and got him out. See? God has given us the opportunity to get past that veil and to actually go before his presence and and pray to him and speak to him and have relationship with him. That is an incredible blessing, and that came about through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right, uh, Jesse.
2: Oh, Lillian. Psalm 24.3. Who may go up to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy temple?
0: And then what's the next verse after that?
2: Only those with clean hands and pure hearts who have not worshipped idols, who have not made promises in the name of false
0: God. There you go. And this is the very mountain that Lucifer wanted to sit on the throne of. God said, you're not holy and you're not pure. Out.
1: Kick them out. Got kicked out. All right. Exodus twenty eleven. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy.
0: So when you know on the Sabbath day, whether you celebrate it on Saturday, whether you celebrate it on Sunday, if it's Sabbath, and that day instead of you God blessed it and he told you to keep it, and you don't keep it, and let's say you went golfing, or let's say you went to play a football game. Or let's say you went, you know, whatever it is that you want to go do. You didn't keep it holy. You need to do something on that day that says that you kept it holy for him. Because he, he blessed it and he, he told you to keep it. Didn't he? But that's only me. No, it's not only me. It's the word.
1: Janelle. <laughs> Isaiah six, three And one cried, on to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his
0: glory that is a wonderful chapter you should read the whole thing absolutely wonderful it gives you this very visual picture of what heaven is going to be like with the worship going on just we say 24-7 because we, we look chronologically, but eternally. You know That, that is going to be absolutely wonderful. If you didn't get one of these sheets, make sure you let me know so we get you one because this has so many wonderful verses that you, sh- you should look at. And the last one for today is peace or order. You know how I'm always telling you that we serve an orderly God? We do. God's peace can be defined as follows. God's peace means that in God's being and in his actions, he is separate from all confusion and disorder. Yet he is continually active in in, in innumerable, well-ordered, fully controlled, simultaneous actions. So a lot is going on throughout the world and this universe. A lot of action, a lot of activity. God is present in all of it, and he's doing all of it in a controlled manner. An orderly way, controlled and orderly. It's amazing stuff. This definition means that God's peace does not have to do it with inactivity. So peace doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to move and I'm not going to touch anything, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to blink. That's not what peace means. But with ordered and controlled activity, our God is constantly in motion. Constantly doing, seeing, working. To engage in infinite activity of this sort, of course, requires God's infinite wisdom, knowledge, and power. Infinite wisdom, knowledge, and power. You know, you're going to multitask. Even those of us that are multitaskers, every once in a while we drop the ball. Ain't that true? Who else is here as a multitasker? Uh, yeah. And every so often we drop one of the balls. God is doing all these multitasks and never drops a ball. Right? Then I hear you, so we could read Romans 1533. Who has it? Okay. And then Romans uh 1417 is Lillium. Philippians 49. Is, uh, no, it's Jessica. And Isaiah 48, 22 is Janelle. How's that?
2: Romans 15, 33, The God of peace will be with you all. Yes, the God of peace.
0: Mm-hmm. Lilium. <laughs> Romans fourteen seventeen. 17. 14, 17. In the
2: kingdom of God. Is that the one? In the kingdom of God. Eating and drinking are not important. The important things are living right with God. Peace and
1: joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. Philippians 4 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace. Yes. Janelle? Isaiah 48, There is no peace. The, saith, thank you. The Lord upon the wicked. Oh, what happened with the microphone? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Should I reread it? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. There is no peace, saith the Lord, and unto the wicked.
0: See. So the wicked are never in peace. They always feel turmoil and discord and confusion and anger and their life is just a mess. You know that there's some people that just love to live in chaos. When everything is going right in their life, they have to, wait a minute, they have to do something, throw a little wrench in there because I need to have a little chaos in my life. Yes, you'd be surprised. But we serve a God of peace and order, of wisdom and knowledge and so, he pours that into our lives as well. So if you find that your life is a little disorderly, you know, it's a little out there, then these are things to pray for and say, God, I need to have some of that order and that structure in my life and in my home. I need peace in my home that when I walk through the doors, it's not like I'm walking through the doors of hell. I'm walking through peace. You said wherever we put our feet, Lord, that you are with us. So Lord, I'm putting the feet all through my house. So therefore, I want peace in my home. I want to go to bed in peace, and I want to rise in peace. you got to pray for these things, for your homes, your children, your family. Your children are having some issues. Pray over those issues specifically. God, give us the wisdom and the knowledge on how to deal with these issues that our children are experiencing. You know, give us the knowledge and the wisdom on how to deal with my coworkers or places that I'm working that I don't want to be there. Give me the knowledge, the wisdom, the patience. God, grace. Give me grace with others. You know, all these things are attributes that we should be praying upon ourselves. How's that? And God will bless us mightily. So next week, we're going to do another five. Okay, does anyone have a question or comment? All right. It's past our 830. Let us pray and thank God for being here. Sunday, we're, we're back, you know, in service. I encourage you. Um, The Sabbath day, keep it holy.